Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our A Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to Episode 90 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. Ten episodes away from 100. There we are, those big round numbers again. So I'm sitting in my living room. For those of you watching me, I think I've never recorded a podcast from this angle before. I often was in front of the Molly B tree, which is over to my left, or in my office, or at the McGregor's, or upstairs. Been in a number of places, but not here. And I chose here today because I have this little desk set up in here that was given to us for Dak to use when he gets bigger. That's a nice student desk. And so it's just set up here. And I had a couple of online meetings this morning and I'm all set up. So why not just record here? And nobody's home. So I have the freedom to do that. So behind me, if you can see me, is a painting of Molly and Gracie that they got done at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania in September of 2015. So this is a tough week. Today is May 3rd as I record this. This episode will come out at the very end of this month, which will have me in a better place emotionally if this May behaves like the last seven Mays of my life. This is Death Week. It's Wednesday, May 3rd today. So the Wednesday of Death Week was the first day that visitors coming knew that Molly was dead, that she was never going to wake up. But the third of death week was Tuesday, and it was Tuesday night, evening of the third, that we got news that Molly would never wake up. And so it's one of those times that's hard for me. I'm just full of a lot of emotions. And this year, I have mentioned this in several Facebook Lives. I'm not sure how I'll feel when you're listening to this, but this year I've had a lot of anger. And so I actually spent a lot of time today talking to my, I have an online coach slash therapist slash mentor, Carolina. Coaching by Carolina is her business, but we talked a lot about anger and the role and the function that anger plays in our life and that we are so quick always to diminish it or mitigate it or control it. And that what happens when you put something away is you just continue to carry it around with you. So it's important to look at anger, not only the anger itself, who is the anger directed at right now? Is that the person or place or thing you're actually angry at? Most of the time, Anger is self-directed, but it's much easier to be angry at somebody else than at yourself. And I find this to be incredibly true for me. In the grief course I took, I just took a grief course with David Kessler, and we talked about anger, how this was one area of grief that was often it's often not accepted as part of the grief process. Like we know how to comfort somebody when they're sad. We try to make them happy, anxiety, fear, panic, all of those things. But you have somebody who's angry, and we just want that person to stop being angry. And, you know, anger, anger can signal danger. An angry bear in the woods is not a, not a safe bear to be around, right? So it makes sense sort of anthropomorphically speaking, right? We should be afraid of anger. It should open our eyes. Little kids are afraid of angry parents. I know that when I really lose my temper in front of Jack, he gets really wigged out. He doesn't like it at all. And so I've spent a lot of time explaining sometimes people get angry. Actually, he was having a little hissy fit a couple of days ago. He got very, very mad. And when he's angry, he looks at us and he picks up a toy and throws it. And then walks over to another one and picks that up and throws it. And we say, don't throw. And he continues to throw. And so till finally we say, are you throwing your toys because you're angry? And he'll say, yes. He'll acknowledge that he's angry. And then we can process the anger. Anyway, I start today in a pretty tender place. I'm also doing a couple of other things. In my future as a podcaster, I want to start interviewing people and having other guests on. I have a friend of mine, a CrossFit friend that I met way back in 2011 when I started CrossFit. That's how I came to know her. We have a lot of other things in common, but 
I've admired her because she's gutsy in my mind. She'll try things. She's had two or three business ventures, none of which were super successful, but so what? You know, she put everything together and gave it a shot. And that's always impressive to me. And we just reconnected recently. We, we do yoga together and she has a business called the Get Better Girl. And so she used to get better girl and she'll help you get better girl. Actually, she'll work with anyone, male or female, but her niche right now is really primarily women because a lot of her health is focused on stress hormones and hormones in general. And the hormones play a, a much more obvious function in the lives of women compared to men. So why am I talking about Jen, the Get Better Girl? Because it's death week. And this is a week that I, in the past, have allowed myself to get really drunk. I've allowed myself to cry and not get out of bed. I've allowed myself to, right after Molly died, take drugs. This was a week that all bets were off. I could just be as bad to myself as I wanted to be. And I was. And I can't even judge myself for that. It was part of my process. I think on some level, it's part of any griever's process. You just get angry and take it out on yourself. But this year, I'm really making a concerted effort to not do that, <laughs> to not use death week as an excuse to hurt myself, but rather to use it as an excuse to make myself better. So one of the things I did very spontaneously was enlist the services of Jen, the Get Better Girl. I don't suffer from weight. I don't gain weight. So weight loss has never been a motivator for me behind nutrition plans. If ever I'm holding on to weight, I typically know exactly why I am. So it's not like it's a mystery to me. I'm still nursing Jack. And I know that I gave up when Molly weaned. I stopped nursing Molly in the beginning of August, 2005. By the beginning of September, I was like 10 pounds lighter and I had done nothing, but I wasn't breastfeeding anymore. So I didn't have to maintain body fat and fluid and, and all sorts of things to feed the breast milk. I could just feed me now. I wasn't also feeding a child. So I know right now when my weight gain isn't, you know, because I'm eating too much, that's not it at all. But I am sore. My hips are sore. My knees are sore. I'm doing all of these this stretching and yoga and all these things that are supposed to keep my joints and my body feeling better. And it isn't. And there are those who would say, well, you're getting old. This is to be expected. Well, I'm tired of this is to be expected in my medicine and my medical care and my health. So I will keep you all posted and look forward sometime down the road to hearing from Jen herself around what she does and why she does it. I'm excited. I had my phone interview today and by the time this is aired, I think I will have done all the testing. There's all sorts of lab tests that you do. And I'm excited because I'm going to learn more about this soul house of mine, this body in which Barb lives. So I think it'll be good. I've done a lot to my body over the past seven years. A dead child wreaks havoc on the body. I was pretty stressed out before Molly died. So I'm excited to see what I can do to keep my body healthier and better maintained. So episode 90 really wraps up me telling the story of my life as it pertains to the death of Molly. The whole reason I did this was to see if I could find out where was that first step? Where was the beginning of the end of Molly? And this is the season that as I told my whole life story and could really connect the dots around my behavior all of my life, that I came to see that I have some very clear decisions that I made just shortly after Molly was born, quite honestly, that truly contributed to my state of mind and my lack of focus to her time of her death. Does that mean I killed her? No, no. I have also come to learn in this whole podcast process that while everything is interconnected, there isn't one single causality for anything. And I'm not the only person in Molly's life. I'm not the only person connected to Molly. I'm not the only person whose decisions affected Molly. This life and death of Molly Banzoff was connected to a lot of people. And as I share my stories and I hear from listeners, especially listeners who were connected to Molly, 
I hear the stories of other people in her life that felt they could have done something. If only I had told you this, oh my gosh, this happened. You know, when I heard these things shortly after her death, I was just enraged, but just so wigged out. Like all the knowledge was there and we missed it and she died. You're feeling like we killed her. And that's not it at all. I think, I think a lot of decisions Molly made set the steps to her death in motion. I think her own thousand tiny steps played a key role in how she ended up in that ER unresponsive on that May day in 2016. I have to say it's been therapeutically helpful. It's made me incredibly sad retelling a lot of the stories. The beauty of telling your story though, is that you see it as a listener. I tell it, I'm talking right now. I'm watching my face on, on my computer screen. I'm telling myself a story. And then when I re-listen to these stories before I send the episodes off to my editor, I'm hearing it as a spectator. I'm watching myself tell the story. And so even though it's about me, I hear it in a different way. And I think anyone who does this type of podcasting knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sort of at the end of the initial reason I started the podcast, the beginning of the end of Molly. And, and I really tie it into you know, meeting this family that I've talked about these past 10 episodes, 12 episodes, however many, and all of the decisions I made around those people. But before I ever met this family, I had set in motion a version of myself that laid me wide open to getting involved with situations like this. That had nothing to do with Amy and Roy. I was me before they showed up. And so who was in my life prior to them that was similar to this? It's amazing now that I've really analyzed my life from 2005 to now, and then look ahead of those years and some of the people I chose and then left and the reasons I stayed with them or, le or left them, some of the friendships I had, some of the failed job experiences, the people whose love I craved and why I've learned so much, so much about, about my life. And what I also now know is I have so many stories still to tell you know, I've talked 90 episodes about Barbara Higgins, but there is so much about Barbara Higgins that has remained unsaid and unshared. Every season I've done has a subject matter and every season has a hundred stories that, that could relate to that part of my life and what was going on with me and some of the escapades and shenanigans I was in and then some of the tragic things and terrible things. I've put the word out to get podcast episodes and I have to say I have a really good friend, Deb. I've mentioned her before. I've mentioned her on some lives. She's so, so utterly kind and she reaches out again and again. Hey, try this as an idea. Hey, try this as an idea. I really appreciate it. And all of her ideas are going to or have come to fruition. But what I've done now to sort of recap, where do I go from here in the podcast? Is I look at my life. I look at the life and times of Barbara Higgins, right? July 29th, 1963 at 2.03 a.m. I come into the world. And I look at a family I was born into. And what was set up for me that I had no control over, who my parents were, who my relatives were, what their experiences were, and what it was, life was like for me. Being born in 1963, I was right on the cusp of the drug culture and the world exploding with women's lib and all this, and holding on to traditional values from the 50s, you know, baby boomer values. My mom was a hippie. <laughs> my dad was raised by the wife cleans the house, the husband earns the money, the end, you know. So already my parents had very, very different ideas on how things worked. My mother came from a family where everybody pulled their share. She grew up on farms and everybody worked. Nobody, nobody had a day off from working together to make the family unit work. Nobody was waited on. Nobody was ridiculed. Well, they might've been ridiculed, but 
I had no control over that. And a number of things happened to me, child abuse, child sexual abuse, being in the middle of all the secrets and lies that go into an abusive dysfunctional family, alcoholism, an early high school pregnancy, suddenly being good at running, chronic illness, in and out of the hospital with an uncurable disease, asthma, much worse then than it is now in terms of how it could be treated medically. Going off to college, free college at a really fancy university, getting a great education, running fast, but sabotaging myself again and again. I was never the runner I could have been because I just wasn't willing to put down the alcohol and really take care of myself in a way that at times I'm still not willing to do. Become a teacher, it's what I always wanted to be. So I'm a teacher and a coach and I begin a career in that. I jump into a marriage that's incredibly unhealthy. I knew it a day in. I got out of that marriage into another relationship. I decimate that marriage by jumping into a relationship with Roy. During all these times, I finally have children. I lose a baby. You see where I'm going here? I've had this crazy life. I've had a million things happen to me. I finally have kids. My kid dies. I become a drug addict. I fall apart. I decide to have a baby and it works. And I get to be on a TV commercial. A 33-story picture of Barb on a building in New York City for six months. I go back to Charles Dickens again and again and again. The best of times and the worst of times. So where do I go from here? What does this Thousand Tiny Steps podcast do now? Well, if I have anything going for me, I have a lifetime full of stories, stories about experiences, people I've met, things that have happened to me that I know other people can relate to, but may not have the guts to share. Not all of them are bad or traumatic or treacherous. Not all of them are sexual or secret. Some of them are just good old fun stories. And I have a lot of room still to analyze how I ended up here today, on this day, as this person looking this way, based on all I've gone through. So I've made a list here, themes. What are some themes in my life? Child abuse is a theme in my life. Chronic illness is a theme in my life. Athletic excellence is a theme in my life. Addiction is a theme in my life. Relationships, teaching and coaching, marriage and divorce, job loss, Roy, all the true loves of my life, really, from Jay to David to Chaz to Graham to Eric to Kenny. Amazing relationships, some wonderful, some never wonderful, even when I thought they were, I guess. Relationships is a big one for me. Friendships, too. Friendships. I have lots and lots of friendships from when I was a little girl, but every friend I've had has taken a chunk of time off from being my friend. And I'm the common denominator there. Something about me caused those friends of mine to need a break. I have to own that. I haven't even actually ever really analyzed that. That would be a good series of episodes. The complexities of friendship. Brain tumors, kidney disease, death, surgery, Jack, Gordy, Gracie, Molly, IVF at 57, infertility, reproductive freedom, and all the rest, all the rest, everything that's happened since then. TV commercials and books, podcasts and blogs. So then I sort of started looking at, okay, so who am I? Like someone said, who is Barbara Higgins? Well, I'm a survivor for sure, but I'm also a fighter and I'm also a dancer, as in a participant in the dance of life, that not every battle is a battle that needs to be fought. If you fight something, you make it your adversary. And sometimes that creates a negative dynamic. So for example, I have asthma. And so I can fight the asthma or I can treat the asthma and maintain a body that handles being asthmatic better. So the asthma isn't as prevalent in my life. Wow, there's a thought. 
right? I'm a chronic illness survivor or experiencer. I've had asthma my whole life. I have trigeminal neuralgia as we speak. A lot of my bunion and foot issues are a form of arthritis, so I hear. I don't ever have sore feet. I mean, other than me pounding the crap out of them. But, you know, so maybe that's an issue that I'll have. I know that my fingers are getting all crooked and weird, like old lady fingers. And that's some sort of arthritic change as well. Hmm. Hard to say. So if I had to really identify myself, I was a little girl. I've been a student, a good student, actually. I've been a musician and a singer and an actor. I've been a gymnast and a skater and a skier and a runner. I've been a teacher. I've been a coach. I'm a kick-ass cocktail waitress. I'm a good shoe salesperson. I'm a camp director. You want five days of fun for your kids? Sign them up for Barb's Track Camp. I've been an athlete. A lot of those things I've listed are athletic endeavors. Great CrossFit athlete. I am an author. I'm a blogger. I've written articles and blogs for a long, long time. And now with my good friend Virginia, a book. I'm a podcaster now. Here I chat. Does that mean that's all I am and that's all I'll be? I don't know. I hope that I'll be a grandmother someday, although I'm not rushing that. I like being an auntie and a cousin. I like being a sister. I have amazing sisters. And even saying those words makes me sad because Gracie lost the sister that she needed the most. I'm just a lot of things now. My plan, not only for this podcast, but for my life in general, is to take all of this, all of the stories I've told, and find those people in this journey that have been affected in a good way, or maybe even a bad way, by stories I've shared, and have them come and talk on the podcast with me. I have some guests lined up already. I mentioned Jen. I do know that I have two or three really good runner friends that suffered similar child abuse as me. And while they might not be willing to come on and talk publicly about their abuse, I could create pretty incredible episodes around journal entries and poetry and memoirs and reflections written on what it was like to be them and their abusive families. Child abuse is such a hard thing to talk about, especially sexual abuse, especially, actually there's no especially there. Anyone that's been sexually abused knows that sometimes it doesn't hurt. Violent sexual abuse, of course, does, but feeling good can be very conflicting when it's not supposed to feel good, right? I look forward to episodes around child abuse and what it means to recover from and live with the ramifications of that kind of abuse and how it's a lifelong, a lifelong issue. My last time being abused, I was just shy of 14. I'm going to be 60 this summer. So 46 years, and I can still remember every minute of every abusive situation. It's a long time to, to carry that stuff around. I think I can have good conversations around what it is like to manage chronic pain and chronic illness. In our very, very unhealthy society, this is a huge issue now. One of the first questions doctors ask you at a physical is list all your medications. List all your medications? When did we become a population of people that everyone in the world needed to be on medication? I used to have a very, very long list, and I still have a longer list than some. Prescribed medicine, inhalers for asthma, and gabapentin for my mouth, which I don't take as much at all as I used to. I'm trying to get off that. So yes, I have a list of medications, but as an asthmatic, that would make sense. So that's an interesting sort of area to go. And what's making us sick? My mother for a long time suffered from fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is such a stress-related illness. And of course, stress is typically shoved upon women. Oh, you're, you're not having a heart attack, you're stressed out. And stress is diminished as a problem. One of the number one causes of heart disease is stress. 
distress hormone called cortisol, which wreaks havoc on an otherwise healthy body. These are all incredibly interesting conversations that are relevant in my life, that I have a lot of experience upon which to share. Addiction. So in my own family, I have multiple people on both sides of my family that struggle with addiction. I think every one of you listening knows somebody who's an addict. And that's an ugly word. You don't want to think of your grandmother who has her first glass of vodka every afternoon at 4.30 and has her 10th glass of vodka at midnight, right? She's home. You know, she gets up every day and cooks breakfast or whatever it is she does. Alcoholism and addiction takes many forms. Anorexia, bulimia. Fortunately, I love to eat and I hate to puke. So those were never, never avenues for me to manage my issues. But it doesn't mean that I don't understand what goes on in the heads of people that suffer that way. The root causes of addiction are very similar. What you choose to be addicted to is what varies. Probably the thing I can speak most about is how to get up after you've been knocked down. And I've had knockdown situations several times in my life, job loss, friendship loss, rumors and terrible things being said about me. You know, I have had a child die. I've had public humiliation, you know, I name it, you name it. And I've had it. And here I am, you know, here I am just doing the best that I can. I'm looking at this list. I keep referring back to the list. If you're watching me, that's what I keep looking down at because there's so much that I can talk about. And I think what I'm going to do, and again, I'm going to reach out and ask for help. I'm asking and asking and asking. Somebody besides Deb can feel free to answer me a suggestion. Shoot me a direct message or a text message or an email or comment on a, one of my social medias. I don't know, whatever you want. But I think I'd like to just take a topic and research stories of my life that relate to that topic. I have some great drunk stories from college. <laughs> and find people who would love to come on the podcast and share their stories around those topics. That does two things. It introduces me to another beautiful soul, another wonderful human to meet and talk to and share with. It broadens the listener reach of my podcast. All that person's friends will listen because they're on a podcast. Yay. And it will make more people listen to mine as well. When I look at my list here, I can do an addiction season for sure. <laughs> Great stories. I can do an athletic excellence, an athletic you know, movement it doesn't have to be athletics. I use that term loosely. You know, I was a little asthmatic kid and I climbed 4,000 footers every year of my life. I climbed almost all of them. And most of them when I was a little asthmatic girl. So I wasn't afraid to move, even though I was told not to. I can talk about job loss and what it's like to be humiliated in the very town in which you live and still go out every day and put on a proud face and live your life. Uh, a big one will be grief and child loss. I just think that we still don't like to talk about these things, that grief is the it's the ugly stepsister, you know? <laughs> you don't want to talk about it. You want people to be happy and have it be comfortable. I really want to talk about Molly. And I want to talk about Molly in a way that's a bit different. I'd like to talk about Molly through her friends. I would love to have a whole season of podcast episodes about Molly through her friend Derek, who's on Broadway now. Keisha, who lives in New York and is also heavily involved in theater. Her friend Nick, who is utterly academic excellencing it at Emory University. Her friend Meg Megan, who's dancing for college and competing and traveling all over. She goes running now. She's doing amazing things. All of her friends who are doing all sorts of wonderful things. I can talk to her sister. I don't know if Gracie would ever come on here. I would love it if she would. Gracie has so much to share. She can really speak to what it's like to lose a sibling in a world that sometimes makes grieving mothers saints, right? The IVF experience that I went through. I have met so many amazing people in the IVF world. I have to be very careful here. There are young women in their 20s and 30s struggling to get pregnant that are researching IVF and 
trying and failing over and over again. It's expensive and exhausting. And here I am 57 and, you know, I try once it fails. I try again, boom, it works. And how is that fair? And you know what? It isn't fair. You know, I don't think there's a lot of fairness and justice in most of the world, but I have a lot of experiences to share. And I would love to give voice to others that are going through these things. So I talked a little bit last time about as bad as life is, what do you have? What can you be grateful for even when it's bad? What can you do to make your worst day your best day? You know, my worst day is dead Molly day, really May 2nd, when we first heard that she would, they didn't think she'd wake up. That was it. How can that ever be my best day? And all I can do is look to things that have come because of that day and allow them to be great without it being a message that that day doesn't matter. You know, it's hard for me to be happy about things that have happened because Molly died, because I feel like, oh, so she had to die for this to happen. And then it becomes, which is better, her death or the thing I got. You know, I'll, I'll always take Molly back. I'll take Molly back over anything. But that isn't what it means, but it's how it feels to me as her mother. How can I be happy about anything that happens to me now because it was related to Molly dying? But Molly died. I can't undead her. And so learning how to be grateful for and even love and celebrate some of the things her death has ushered into my life is really a crucial piece in me living any sort of happy life. So all of this, all of these things can be on the podcast. I have listened to so many amazing podcasts and I find new ones all the time. And I encourage you to do that. You know, if, if my podcast is interesting, Google some of the things I talk about in the podcast realm and find related podcasts. It's a great way to learn and to grow and to therapy yourself. So where do I see myself going from here? I see myself really, really focusing on using this podcast as a vehicle to continue my own healing and to provide opportunities for my listeners to just listen. And where do I want to go as a human being other than the podcast? I want to be a really good mother to Jack. I want to be a healthy, physically healthy mother so that I'm around for a long time. I want to be a spiritually and mentally healthy mother so I don't bring unnecessary hell into his life like I brought into Gracie's and Molly's. You know, there's a part of me that would love to be back in the classroom to get up and go into a school building in my town and teach. I say that, and I don't know that I want to be tied down. One thing I love about my life my life right now is everything I love to do, I can do in a variety of places. And I can just say, nope, can't do it today. And nothing bad can happen to me because of that. That's a bit of freedom I didn't have when I was raising Grace and Molly. I think I'd like to write a book, another book. I would encourage all of you as well to not be afraid to ask for help. I don't ask for help. There's a big piece of me that likes to prove to myself that I suck. Carolina has said to me many times that I often choose to help people that I know I can't help or people who say they want you to help them but don't really want to be helped. And I have a couple of those people in my life still, and I'm learning that I can just put that right back into their lap. Sounds like you don't really want what I'm offering. <laughs> what else can we do? And that's not easy for me because I, I quickly want to own it. And I just have this unhealthy desire for people to love me. What are you going to do with that? So it's another rainy day. This has been like the rainiest April and May. It's just been crappy weather for a while now. Jack is at big boy school, which is a good place for him to be. Kenny's, I don't know where Kenny is. He's doing whatever Kenny does. Gracie's at work. I just feel a bit hopeful. It's in the, I'm in the middle of death week and I can't talk about Molly without crying, but I also feel a bit hopeful that, that maybe I do have what it takes to be successful and, you know, to, to be happy. If I were to share any funny stories in this podcast episode, I had a really good day yesterday. So I drove to battle to coach and I was crying the whole way because I was just having a hard time with the lawsuit piece of Molly. 
and not being able to really tell the story of what happened to her. And then I went and coached and I had my typical 7 a.m. class. It was fun. I liked the people at that gym. I had a good 7 a.m. class. And then I had an eight o'clock class with three women, Loretta, Nancy, and Helen. And they're in their 60s, 70s, and almost 80s. And they come and do CrossFit. And it's, I learned so much from Ryan, 22-year-old guy who coaches these women. And he is fantastic. So good at working with these ladies. They did all sorts of auxiliary work. They addressed squatting, their ability to squat down, to bend their knees, to support their body weight in a squat. They worked on deadlifting. You bend down and pick something up and stand up with it without using your back, really using your legs and your hips. They did arm work, they did some tricep work, which are the muscles in the back of your arms. They reached up over their heads and pulled things down, these bands. They lifted barbells and did presses, worked their biceps. They did pull-ups. They're called ring rows. And you pull yourself up and down on rings, just like pull-ups. And then they got on stationary bikes and they pedaled and got their, got their heart rates up. They spent an hour just moving their bodies. So one of them, one of the women uses a cane. And in her first class, she was really, really reluctant to let go. No, 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 I'll fall, I'll fall. And this class, she, she put that cane aside more often than she used it. It was amazing. And when I watch her in a stable position, sitting and doing a movement or holding onto a band, or even engaged in a deadlift, not holding onto that cane, she's fine. She isn't wobbly, but she's become accustomed to having the cane help her out. And she's old and she's had surgery and she's been still. It was such a fun class, I have to say. Me at 59, I'm the baby, you know, oh, you're a child. <laughs> I say that to 40 year olds now. I actually joke around about how 45 feels so young. It was an eye-opening class and it's really what made me book an appointment with Jen, my nutrition lady there, the Get Better Girl, because I realized I am a child to these people. Helen is almost the same age as my mom. And so I am a child to her, right? I could be her child. They're working on their bodies and staying healthy. It was really, really fun. It put me in a much better mindset for my sad day. Then I came home and took a two and a half hour nap with Jack, which was yummy. Any of you that have children know how yummy and snuggly it is to sleep with a baby. For those of you that who aren't kid oriented, if you like kitty cats or puppy dogs, just Think about curling up for a nap with your favorite kitty or your favorite puppy snuggled in the bed with you. You know what I'm talking about. It's the yummiest thing ever. And it was just what I needed. And then I went back and coached another CrossFit class and it was fantastic. And then Jack had cat class. So I was able to take the anniversary of May 2nd, the culmination of a day in the ER where Molly was ignored and then died. And I could have this amazing day. And I didn't go to bed apologizing to Molly for feeling okay about my day. I apologized to her for not catching on that she needed more help than she got. I apologize for not saving her. I'll do that for the rest of my life. But I was able to create a nice day so that I have this May 2nd to look back on in a better way as the years go by and May keeps coming back again and again and again. I also have great, tremendous support online, you know, through Facebook and Instagram and that sort of thing. So I'm excited. I set out almost two years ago exactly now. I think it was May, shortly after Jack was born. Yes, it was the month of May, maybe even late April, that I reached out to my editor, Jace, and asked, hey, I'd like to start a podcast. And I'm right now recording my 90th episode. So while my office is still a mess and I still have not made a penny podcasting, although I don't know that I set out to make money on it anyway, I don't weigh much less than I weighed two years ago and my knees still hurt and I still struggle to put the drinks down sometimes. I've recorded 90 podcast episodes. I have to feel okay about that. I know that those of you that listen all have your own podcast level goals and, and accomplishments that you're involved in as well. And we have to sometimes just 
yay ourselves a little bit. A good old self yay. Yay. I'm going to feel good about it. But I'm at a crossroads now. I'm at a juncture. I'm at a fork in the road. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Little little green day there for you. But I'm excited about it. I'm ready to leap, take a leap and really create a podcast that's a little bit more than just the story of Barb Higgins. I mean, that is a lot. And keep it going from here. So with that, I'll put an end to the beginning of the end of Molly. And now take time to acknowledge the fact and own the pieces that are mine. Yes, I did have a piece of Molly's death. I played a role in the events that led up to the reality of her in that ER on that day in those circumstances. And she died. I'll own my parts. I will not own or excuse the parts of others. That's their job. It's none of my business. That's what I'm learning. What people think of me is none of my business. <laughs> That's a hard one for me. I can perseverate on that all the time. So what's the rest of my day look like? Well, I'll work out and I'll go to yoga and I'll spend some evening time with Jingle Jangle because that's what I love to do. So as I wrap up episode 90 of A Thousand Tiny Steps, I ask you the following. Please be good to yourself. After you're good to yourself, be good to someone else. And after you're good to someone else, as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444. On Facebook is Barb Higgins and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.